And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News and Election Central. This is uh, Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education and politics in Idaho. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And it's going to be all about elections uh, this week on the podcast as we get ready for the Tuesday elections. So uh, let's jump right into it. Yeah, don't forget, big primary election on Tuesday all across the state. Kevin, I want to start with the West Ada School District recall. And I want to ask you... You had some news yesterday. What in the world is our governor doing wading in uh, to this controversy in West Ada? What what happened, and and have you ever seen this before? Okay, so to catch up, uh, Governor Otter and First Lady Lori Otter headed a list of uh, folks who came out endorsing the recalls in West Ada. These are the recalls targeting uh, Board Chair Tina Dean and Trustee Carol Sales. He was joined on this list of endorsements. There were a few uh, Republican legislators as well, uh, some former school trustees. So it wasn't just the Otters, but that is kind of the headline here, obviously, because for a governor to weigh in in a nonpartisan school board election, much less a recall election in in a nonpartisan school board race, is, as near as I can tell, unprecedented. I mean, we just... Clark and I, we were just in a uh, panel discussion here, uh, sponsored by the Chamber of Commerce, talking about uh, elections, and a lot of smart people in the room, smarter than me, uh, with more historical memory of politics in the state, and nobody could remember a time where a governor weighed in like this in in a local nonpartisan race. So very unusual, but, you know, kind of par for the course in the sense that there has been so many unusual twists and turns in the West data story last year. Yeah, Kevin, a couple of things. First of all, I want to point out the governor and his wife, they live in Star. I believe they live within the boundaries of the West Ada School District. But is this not perhaps an extension of some of this debate and talk we saw during the legislative session? We saw the House Majority Leader, Mike Moyle, uh, get involved with some of these discussions. Could this be an extension of what started during the session, Kevin? It it, it could be. You know, this is where the the public policy student in me comes out here because I can't tell what's going on here in West Ada and to what degree is it an outlier or to what degree is it a a signal of where we're going with school board elections. It's certainly an outlier because I've never seen a school board uh, election recall process as contentious as this one. But I think it's also a, a harbinger because I think we're going to see school board elections become more partisan, more pitched, uh, more contentious. You know, it used to be school board elections were fairly low-key, kind of sleepy, because you know, these are volunteer positions. Right. A lot of school districts really struggle to find people to run at all. But now you've got you've got sunshine laws being applied now to school board races, at least in the larger districts. So next go around in West Data, we'll know who gives money to the candidates. Uh, You've got a lot of push in the legislature, like you were talking about, to move school board elections onto the November general election ballot. So you would have nonpartisan school board races side by side with partisan races for governor or for president or you know, whatever's on the ballot that, uh, that even number year. So I think that's changing. I think there's uh, maybe a push, and there have been pushes at the legislature to try to have school board candidates run district-wide rather than just running in their neighborhood zones, which would, again, it might drive up turnout, but it might also make these races a lot more, uh, yeah, a lot more high-profile, a lot more uh, 
more contentious. So I, to some degree, I think what we're seeing in West Ada is maybe an extreme example of what we may see in other school districts around, around the state. And, you know, big, big, big picture concept, uh, context here. We had two recalls in Caldwell last year. We had some fairly uh, high profile, uh, you know, with some partisan overtones, uh, school board races in Boise. Uh, Coeur d'Alene's last round of school board elections were, were heated. So it's not just West Ada, but it is certainly West Ada at the forefront of it. Well, what's at stake Tuesday in West Ada? I, we've got a new superintendent, but uh, remind our listeners of a little bit of the context, what exactly is on the ballot in Zones 1 and Zone 3 on Tuesday, and, and what's at stake and how it works. Okay, so what's at stake? You have two trustees on the ballot facing recall. You've already had two other trustees who have resigned earlier this year, Russell Jokey, Julie Madsen. They resigned under the threat of a possible recall. So you have two new trustees already on the board. If you have a recall and these two trustees are are voted out, you will have two more new trustees. So four of the five trustees will be uh, appointed within the span of a, of a couple of months. So here's the, the rundown of what happens on Tuesday. Uh, recall elections, it's kind of a two-tiered process. The first thing that has to happen, a majority of voters would have to vote yes on the recall. If uh, recall organizers don't get majority support, it's game over. It's, it's over right there. Right. But and the other thing that has to happen is that more people have to vote for the recall than voted for the candidates in their last election. And for Carol Sales, we're talking about 339 votes. Uh, for Tina Dean, it's a little bit lower. It's 185. As I recall, she was in a, a three-person race. So uh, her, her vote total, and that's all that counts here, her vote total is lower. So we're not talking about a lot of votes here. And remember, it's just people who live in these two trustees' zones who get to vote. So it's not everybody in the West Ada district. So this could be decided by a fairly small subset of voters. And turnout is important. Yep. Because if you're going to successfully recall, you have to not only get majority support, but you've got to have enough of a voter turnout to overcome that you know, that threshold number of how many votes were cast last time around. So I think the governor coming out publicly, as he did on Thursday, certainly raises the stakes, certainly raises the uh, the visibility of this race heading into uh, Tuesday's election. And we had a fascinating discussion this morning at our chamber forum. We were fortunate enough to have Jessica Harrison from the Idaho School Boards Association join us. She talked a little bit uh, about the mechanics of trustees and, and how it works. Uh, and she sort of walked through if we are to see a recall on Tuesday of one or both of these school board members, we got to let about a week pass until the results are canvassed mm -hmm. and officially certified uh, by the county and by the state. And then after that, we're looking at approximately uh, a 90 day uh, time period under most scenarios. Uh, where a replacement board member would be appointed. There's some contingencies if it doesn't happen uh, where you could stretch outside of those zones, perhaps have uh, county commissioners involved. But if it was a straightforward, standard um, procedure after the recall and they were able to find people within those zones, we'd be looking at about 90 days plus about a week or so after the election when any potential new board members would be seated. Right, correct? it's give or take. Uh, yeah. I'm just Caldwell, when they had two trustees recalled in November of last year, it took until January for the two new members to be appointed. So that's about a two-month process. 
Uh, we'll see. We, first things first, we'll, we'll see what happens here on Tuesday in the election. Sounds good. All across the state, Kevin, from Aberdeen to Troy, we are also seeing supplemental levies and bond issues uh, in local ballots on Tuesday. I think you reported around $79 million worth of levies and bonds at stake, but uh, give me a little insight into uh, what's at stake with some of these local districts and their funding. It's, it's going to be a busy day in a lot of school districts. There are about two dozen districts that have uh, either bond issues or levies on the ballot, and it is $79 million. Uh, some big ones, uh, some bond issues in Kimberley, Potlatch, uh, American Falls, and Aberdeen. A uh, couple of uh, couple of bigger uh, supplemental levies to keep an eye on. Caldwell uh, has a five million dollar renewal on the ballot on Tuesday. Uh, Mountain Home has five point four million. The Troy School District, which uh, we looked at very closely last summer, they are trying to renew a a supplemental levy. This is the same one that was passed last August after two unsuccessful elections. Very contentious process. A uh, lot of heated debate within that small community in, in Latok County to the point where last summer the football team wasn't really a football team until the levy was passed in August. They couldn't really practice or schedule games because they didn't know if they'd have the money to field a football team. So Fast forward to Tuesday, that same levy is on the ballot on Tuesday, so we'll keep an eye on it and uh, the levies and bond issues across the state. And there is, Kevin, is there not a different threshold for approval when we're talking about a levy versus the type of levy versus a bond, real quickly? Right, bond issue because it involves long-term debt, two-thirds supermajority, so those are a lot tougher to pass. A lot of districts have to take a, a series of runs at a bond issue to get one passed. Uh, supplemental levies requires a simple majority. So, um, you know, a very different threshold. All right. In addition to your West Ada recall to bonds and levies and districts across the state, we also have all 105 positions in the legislature expire this year. But Kevin, as you've reported, not everybody faces opposition. What's up? Well, and, and you kind of focus on some of these races too. So, We've got 30 unopposed legislators around the state, both Republicans and Democrats. Those, so those are the best 30, right? The best 30. Well, they tell you no the best 30. That's why nobody uh, <laughs> you know, rose up to, to oppose them. So take that off of the top. So really what we're going to look at on Tuesday with the primaries is I think you can boil it down to about between 10 and 15 primaries that are going to be worth keeping an eye on. Uh, Clark, you've been working really hard the past few weeks interviewing candidates in the legislative races that involve uh, Joint Finance Appropriations Committee members, members of the Education Committees, uh, the open race to succeed, potentially succeed Reed Mordaunt in Eagle. So we focused on those, um, and those are the ones to keep an eye on. And, and you know, I think the storyline to watch on Monday, on Tuesday rather, is um, you've got some hard right conservative challengers running. Uh, with backing from the Idaho Freedom Action Wing of the Idaho Freedom Foundation. This is going to be a real test to see how conservative uh, the electorate is in these closed Republican primaries, how 
you know, do voters in these districts want to swing the legislature further to the right? Yeah, I think that it's almost in some cases a referendum on to what degree the Freedom Foundation still has clout and influence within legislative circles it and over like the a, public. It seemed like in your stories over and over, the challengers were citing the Freedom Index, which is the Idaho Freedom Foundation's scorecard on right. legislative voting. It seemed like it was just kind of part of the mantra from these uh, conservative challengers uh, claiming that the incumbents were, were too moderate. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out with the electorate and, and in some of these legislative districts. You know, no two legislative districts are exactly alike. Yeah, and I just want to go down the list here real quickly and tick off a handful of races, Kevin, that you and I think may be interesting. I'll start it off. You jump in. In District 14, that's the Eagle area of Ada County. Uh, that's the race to replace House Education Chairman uh, Reed DeMordant, who is not seeking re-election. I think the interesting thing about this race, a couple of things. After Reed DeMordant said he's not going to file for re-election, his wife, Gay Ann DeMordant, who's been active within the charter school movement and within the Republican Party for years, decided to file. But she is opposed in this Republican primary by Doug Jones, who... Uh, in the Magic Valley, served for 20 years in the Idaho House. I think both of these folks would like a seat on the Education Committee if they're successful on Tuesday. Uh, in the neighboring district, District 15, uh, I think another interesting race is former Senate Majority Leader Rod Beck challenging Representative Patrick McDonald, who's a member of the Education Committee um, in the uh, 1980s. Uh, Rod Beck served in the legislature, and he was one of the original architects of this more conservative shift within the Republican Party that we see. Those are two kind of Treasure Valley races that I'm interested in. I'm also really interested in this North Idaho District 1 Senate race, Kevin, where the senior member of the Senate, Sean Keogh, faces a, a tough primary um, from challenger Glenn Rohr, who's been gearing up for this race for uh, almost a year, it, it, it seems like. But, Kevin, you reported there's a lot of money involved in this race, right? It, it was eye-popping, the, the, mo the money that's been raised in this race. Uh, Sean Keogh has raised close to $79,000 in the past elections, in the past fundraising cycle. That's a big sum of money for a legislative race. So, uh, by comparison, Glenn Rohr has about 16000 that he raised. Most of it is money that he contributed to his own campaign. So, it's not really fundraising in the sense that uh, he has uh, supporters who gave to his campaign. So, what the Keogh fundraising tells you, a lot of money from, from some of the most prominent PACs, in Idaho, some of the most prominent special interests, a lot of current and former senators contributing to her uh, war chest. Also, even a couple of Democrats uh, giving to to Senator Keogh's campaign. I I don't know what's going on up there. Neither of us do. It's 500 miles from where we sit right now, and neither of us have have set foot in the district. But $79,000 gives you a lot of money to do direct mail. It gives you a lot of money to do get out the vote and do phone, phone tree uh, campaigning or take out advertising. I mean, if Sean Keogh, if we wake up on Wednesday morning and Sean Keogh is not a state senator, you, you can't put it on resources and you can't put it on experience because she's 
she's been you know reelected you know she's the senior member of the senate she's been there for for 20 years if she were to lose i think it would be much more of a signal of where the legislature may be headed and where the electorate may be headed it would represent perhaps a big uh, potential swing to the right and for groups that really targeted Sean Keo this would be a um, this would be a huge get. It's an uphill battle because you're fighting an incumbent who has quite a bit of money, but it would be, it would reverberate well beyond that district way up on the, the Canadian border. Yeah, one other race, real quick, eastern side of the state, legislative district 34A house race involving Representative Ron Nate, uh, who's a younger, less experienced member of the legislature, getting a challenge from Doug Ricks in the Rexburg, Madison County area. The money is also interesting here, Kevin, because typically uh, leadership will support incumbents who are facing a challenge within their own party, but not in this case, not exclusively at least. What happened? Some fascinating uh, money flow in this race as well because uh, Brent Hill, the Senate uh, President Pro Tem, the leader of the Senate, uh, contributed to Doug Ricks' campaign, to Ricks's challenge against Ron Nate. So did Mark Gibbs, a prominent member of the Joint Finance Appropriations Committee. It's very unusual for members of the legislature, especially members of, of legislative leadership, to put money into a challenger's campaign. Now, they almost always give money. When they give money, they give money to fellow incumbents. Uh, also interesting, not just who gave in this campaign, but who did not give in this campaign. Scott Bedke, the Speaker of the House, has contributed to 21 Republicans who face uh, primary opponents on Tuesday. There were four that did not make uh, Speaker Bedke's uh, nice list, I guess you could say. Uh, Ron Nate is one of them. So it's fairly conspicuous when you look at who the Speaker of the House decided to support uh, going into Tuesday's election and who he didn't choose to support. So I think the Ron Nate-Doug uh, Ricks race is going to be very interesting to watch. Nate has only been in office for one term. He's not as well entrenched within that district as maybe some of the other incumbents we're talking about. It'll be one to watch. Fascinating stuff. Kevin, I want to point out you and I will be up late on Tuesday night filing election coverage, and we'll have all the results from legislative races, from levies and bonds, from whatever happens with this West Ada recall. Be sure to follow our coverage Tuesday night beginning at 9 p.m. at IdahoEdNews.org. Also have some stuff on Twitter if you want to follow us at IdahoEdNews. And by Wednesday, we will have a wrap-up of everything that is shaken out in the election. We will tell you about the standing of the House Education Committee and whether that uh, is going to have multiple new members next year or not. Next week, we'll be back with a brand new edition of the Extra Credit Podcast on a Friday. We will break down the latest election results and look ahead to the summer and November's general election. But meanwhile, thank you so much as always for tuning in and listening to us. I'm Clark. And I'm Kevin. Have a good week.